500 years ago he washed ashore the sole survivor of a shipwreck and upon the skull of the man who killed his dad he said i'm mad i must eradicate piracy injustice and cruelty and all my sons will follow me so evil doers will believe that this man cannot die the phantom the ghost who walks the enemies beware the phantom's always there but you won't find the phantom he finds you g'day everybody and for those who have come in late, you're listening to Expand the Phantom podcast. My name is Jermaine, and today, or this morning, I am joined by Dan. How are you, Dan? Yeah, good, Jermaine. Yourself? Uh, yeah, no, good. I'm really looking forward to this podcast. Um, hmm. Yeah, so it, it should be good. So recently, we did a social media post celebrating what the DC regular series, which are these ones here, if you're watching us on uh, YouTube, uh, when the f- series was first printed back in 1989. Now, the amount of responses from fans was quite amazing, actually. Uh, fans tend to love this series. And some of the responses and comments that we received regarding the celebration were some comments about that, that we need some interviews with the creators. We needed a trade paperback of the series. And then some have even said that it's their favourite USA produ- uh, publication of The Phantom ever. Uh, one even said it was the best written series of all time. More, it is more believable and based in reality than anything else was another comment. Uh, another one was said that it was great storytelling and that it dealt with real life issues. And that another one was that they loved the high stakes and the political intrigue in the 13 part series. So we have listened to you and you have asked for interviews. So we hunted down the writer. Uh, who wrote this, and that is Mark. How are you going, Mark? I'm doing good, and you? Very good. Now, <coughs> on purpose, I haven't pronounced your last name because I personally am really, really bad when it comes to yeah. uh, pronounce, pronouncing last names. So before we get into it any further, uh, could you explain how to pronounce your last name? I'll do my best. It's Verheiden. Verheiden. Okay, awesome. And where where does that originate from? Uh, when you go way back, Germany. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, yeah, German. Okay, cool. So I appreciate that. So what do you think about some of the love that has been shown by the fans from around the world? Uh, it's uh, pretty awesome. I mean, uh, you know, I did do this book like 32 years ago uh, <laughs> as we were talking, and uh, it was only one one year and uh, died kind of a <laughs> unfortunate death after 13 mm. issues. Um, so uh, the people still remember it 32 years is great. I occasionally do uh, shows um, talking about my TV shows and comics I've done, other comics, and people will bring the phantom up. So um, it's uh, obviously it resonated with someone. Hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, it's it's great. I love to hear it. And it, it's one. It's the series just seems to have stood the test of time. And people can dip back into it at any stage. Um, even preparing for today, going over a few of the comics, they could still be plucked from today's newspaper headlines. Yeah, I reread them today. Also, just try to remember because it has been a while, and um, it's it's both. It's cool that they're still relevant, but also a little sad that they're still relevant. <laughs> yeah. Years later because yeah, 
you know, toxic dumping and poaching and the Ku Klux Klan and all the things that the Phantom was dealing with in that series, um, you know, uh, starvation, things like that. None of that's gone away. And uh, in fact, I don't think any of the bad things in that series have gone away. (laughs) So um, the Phantom's fighting a a lonely battle that uh, he has to keep fighting, I guess, because that stuff just doesn't disappear. Mm. Yes, unfortunately, that is... That is very sad. Um, so I was just wondering if we can maybe go back a little bit and we'll start off with a little bit about yourself and then we can go into um, the Phantom and stuff like that. So I guess if you could just uh, tell us a bit about yourself, about what you studied, where you were raised, how you decided you want to write comics. Um, and if you wanted to, let us know your age or your age range. Um, just older. Every week. <laughs> older. <laughs> two years older than when I did this. <laughs> <laughs> and then we could um, kind of go from there. Uh, sure. So I, uh, I grew up in uh, a suburb of Portland, Oregon called Aloha. And uh, it's a very idyllic sort of place to grow up. And uh, I've, I wanted to be a writer since I was five years old. I don't quite know why, but I have. I wanted to. Uh, went to school in Portland, Oregon, went to college there, um, gained a love for film as well as comics, and uh, moved to Los Angeles in the 80s to uh, try to break into filmmaking and screenwriting. Um, but then um, I got very uh, fortunate slash industrious because some friends from Portland, Oregon started a company called Dark Horse Comics. They were old friends from when I grew up. One of them was my old roommate. And I started writing comics for them, which I think is what put me on the radar for DC uh, around the time I was called to ask, asked to do The Phantom. So uh, I had done, I'd forgotten actually, I had done one other, one short story and then a short run of a character named Speedy, who is the Green Arrow's ward or is Robin, basically. And... Um, it's actually all in the letters pages in the Phantom, which I'm glad he wrote this stuff. Uh, Robert Greenberger was the editor who hired me, and he, he said that he liked what I'd done with Speedy and so thought I'd be a good one to do sort of a modern approach to the Phantom. And uh, so that's kind of how I, you know, I got a call one day, would you be interested in doing the Phantom? Hmm. And that's how that worked. So did you they must know have... of, oh, sorry. Yeah, no, I was yeah. just going to say, just from those letters pages, there does seem to be a lot of love in the first well all through really about um your writing and um people excited right from the get-go from your other work so that must have been really gratifying yeah it was very kind i think the the letters were good i think you know unfortunately i think sales trailed off as we went and you know i think there could be some reasons for that 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 were sort of both beyond my control but um uh anyway we can talk about that later but uh it's uh no, it was very, the response was, was really good. I, I look back on it as a very, um, as a really good experience working on that. It, uh, it was really fun to do. Mm. Well, hard. It was difficult to do. <laughs> but it was really, really a, a fun time. So so just got to capture on that a little bit there. What made it hard to do? Was it because of the Phantom and he's a complex character? Or was it like, if you could just. Right. Well, I that. think. You know, when, when I got the asked originally, I was a little nervous about it, only because I wasn't wholly, I knew who the Phantom was, obviously. I wasn't wholly up on 
sort of his world. Um, but, um, you know, my knee jerk response was sort of, it, it could come off a little great white hunter-ish, you know, the, the mm -hmm. white guy in Africa solving problems. And so I really wanted to work against that. And then I think the other thing that I really wanted to do is deal with actual issues that seemed to be uh, plaguing Africa then. Mm -hmm. um, this was pre-internet. So uh, I, I actually, there's a newsstand, there was a newsstand back then near where I lived that had uh, weekly African news magazines. And I bought a bunch of those and every month I actually would read those. And from that find, um, find if there's something interesting, you know, an interesting sort of news story or tidbit that would uh, be a germ of a phantom story. So uh, train surfing, which is one of the stories I did, was a real thing, unfortunately. More in South America than in Africa, but uh, that was one that came directly from that. Uh, the toxic dumping was a huge issue in Africa because uh, people were just using it as a garbage dump for the West. Um, and, um, and some of them were more, I think some of the stories were inspired a little more, you know, in quotes, fun. <laughs> they weren't, none of them were particularly joyful, but, uh, like the gold story was a little bit of treasure, Sierra Madre, somebody is obsessed with gold and can't get it out of their head and what happened to them. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, they were, they, uh, the gorilla poaching was another one that was around the time of, uh, gorilla in the mist. <laughs> the movie and so you know that's all that stuff was uh, kind of percolating around so um but they they were interesting to try to write because they were a lot of oops <laughs> one um they were one one story you know they weren't continued stories so mm -hmm. i was trying to do sort of a little movie in every mm -hmm. couple issues or every issue and um the, you know there's a bit of a challenge to make them feel different so mm. Yeah, and and you did still manage to have that. Well, well, you're right. Each each comic could be read as a one-off or independently. Um, you still had a thread going through the whole series as well, which was obviously wrapped up at the end. So it had that 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 whole film structure, I suppose, still across the the thirteen episodes. Yeah. We had the uh, the running story of Phantom's uh, decision to marry Diana and her decision to marry him and. Um, and so that story was kind of a runner to build up of their relationship. Um, but, uh, but the stories themselves were very standalone. You, you yep. could walk mm. into one and you just, you'd get that story and you didn't have to know what happened in that episode to, to go mm. on to the next issue. Mm. Mm. Well, that, that, that's, that's very true. When I actually first picked up the series, it was actually issue 13 that I, was my first issue of this that I actually brought. Um, and so I hadn't read 12, which was the first part. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and then, you know, I was slowly picking up the back issues and stuff and you could quite read them as individual issues and, and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, that was a definite editorial decision as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, that we, uh, um, and, and maybe one that hurt, hurt the book a little bit because back then continued stories were, I think a little more in, in vogue and, um, but uh, we decided we wanted to do one, two issue stories and um, mm. we stuck to it. So um, with, with the exception of the runner of the Diana uh, kit marriage. 
Yeah. And I guess also the, um, was it Camel, the, the gun runner from issue yeah. one who reappeared obviously in that um, framed issue 12 right. and 13. So again, that nice um, coming to the circle coming to completion, I guess, in that sense. Um, what would you think about the, the collection being um, gathered as a, a, a trade paperback? Love it. Um, I'm not exactly sure. I, I heard that um, there's an outfit I think it's here that does a lot of phantom reprints. Yeah, Hermes Press probably. Yeah. Yep. Um, I probably shouldn't. I just heard a rumor that they were trying to do it, but the licensing was too expensive or something. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it is DC and King Features. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's funny. Of everything I've done, it's probably the one that's never been reprinted or... Oh, really? Yeah, that's been... Uh, well, we have we we being phantom people had, um, are aware that King features can be difficult to work with sometimes. And I suppose by the time you throw DC on top of that, um, which is a massive conglomeration in itself, um, you, there's a few moving parts to work through. Probably, I mean, you know, I, again, I don't have any idea what the the issues are, mm. um, or if there'd even be a huge market for it. But if you, I'd love to have them come out again. I mm. I think, as you said, they feel like they haven't particularly dated. So uh, if you're into the Phantom, um, I think you could still enjoy them. Or even yeah. if you're not, you could probably still enjoy them. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Now, so when you were given the gig, um, was there kind of like a style guide or a reference guide or, or, or did they just give you a whole bunch of Phantom comics to read? Or like, How did you, because like you said yourself before that you, you, you knew of the character, but you didn't know the in-depth you, you grab the newspapers, the African newspapers to, you know, get an understanding of, of what it was like to live in there. But what did you do to actually, I guess, immerse yourself <coughs> into the Phantom? Um, I think what I did first was read the, uh, at least the first five and maybe all 15 of the Phantom books that Lee Falk yep. wrote. And those were really good for kind of just telling you what you needed to know about his life and lore. Um, I remember reading some of the, the strips. There weren't as many collections back then, so they weren't mm. as easy to get your hands on. Mm. Um, there was the Peter David mini that came before I came on, so I was able to look at that. But uh, I'd say the, the sort of Bible in quotes was probably those novels. Yep. And um, I happened to have them. I bought them when they came out. So I didn't have to search them out or anything. I actually had bought them as a comic book fan. And mm. so um, uh, those mostly for the lore and stuff. And then also Bob Greenberger and, and Brian Augustine, the editors on the book, um, you know, who were in contact with Lee Falk, had his, um, you know, knowledge base and blessing um, I'm not sure if, if Falk read every script or how that worked. You'd have to ask them, but I do know that he was approving things mm. and asked for certain things as we went along. And um, I think if he'd been unhappy, we would have heard about it. Mm. So uh, yes. one thing I've well, always been pleased about reading, was didn't reading through the. Oh, sorry. Reading through the publisher's notes in the first issue, it said that um, it, it seemed that you had had to do up a, a pricey, I suppose, of the of the series to yep. for Lee Falk to approve. And then, well, certainly in um, some of the editorials there on, it does mention Falk actually approving scripts and um, explicitly says that he's commented really positively on the scripts and on the artwork. So uh, did you actually meet him yourself? 
I didn't meet him. I uh, no, I never even spoke to him, as I recall. I I got a letter from him when the series was canceled, which was very classy. Where he just said he did a great job. Oh, nice. Um, which was very nice. Uh, um, and again, my my memory of it was, um, again, maybe some of his thoughts were being sort of relayed to me through the editors, and I didn't know they were Lee Fox or not. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, the one, it's funny, I remember one very specific note, which was for issue six. It's funny how you remember things. Um, where Lee Falk wanted the Phantom and Diana to water ski on dolphins. Yep. And um, I remember at the time being kind of like, ah, oh, geez, really? And I just reread it. It doesn't, it's fine. You know, yeah. it, it's, it's no big deal. But, you know, my take on the Phantom was this kind of very gritty and, you know, serious. And um, so I, I remember kind of being cranky about that for 20 minutes but <laughs> then i thought hey it's his character he's done it for 40 years already and who am mm. i to argue with the guy so um if that's your one note and i've done a lot of stuff since if that's your one note just take it with a smile and move on so, <laughs> so i'm not sure if you if you if you know now the reason why it's the water skiing behind dolphins is because in the newspaper strip that's actually how the phantom proposed uh, was was while he was behind the dolphins water skiing. I don't think we had a propose on the dolphins, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but so I guess I guess that's why he wanted it in to kind of tie the you know, two series together because um, there was a lot. Of, there's a lot of phantom lore in in your stories. Um, I've in rereading them this week. I you know I've, I picked up four quite easily. Like. Uh, trains had the retelling of the Jungle Patrol o- origin, and that was almost, you know, it was very, very, you know, very similar. It was uh, blind. Uh, had the Doctor Axel and the birth of the Twenty um, First Phantom. Mm-hmm. Um, Hate had, um, which was I think issue three and four, or mm-hmm. four and five. Um, had uh, the ch- had a retelling of the childhood of the Phantom. Uh, when he's at school and stuff like that. And then, of course, uh, Framed actually had the wedding as well. And then there was the proposal with the dolphins and stuff like that as well in, in episode six. So there's, mm. there's a, there is a lot of phantom lore um, that's inter- interwoven within the stories and all that. Yeah, I found that fascinating, by the way. I, I, uh, again, I would, I'm pretty sure I plucked that directly from mm. the books. Um, mm. And... Uh, it was, uh, you know, not just an homage, but a way to flesh out the Phantom. Yeah. Because he's such an enigma, um, you know, that goes to walks. Uh, he's very, you know, we uh, Luke did, I think, an amazing job drawing him in this very moody, dark, you know, scary almost way. Um, mm. uh, maybe almost too scary for Lee Falk sometimes, I think. Mm. That was probably his other criticism was that the Phantom can be cheerful from now, now and again, and uh, the phantom. Well, you got to be cheerful when you're water skiing behind do- dolphins, surely. I'm not even sure he had a smile there, but he <laughs> can. He can. Uh, but he wasn't very cheerful in the 13 issues I did, except maybe at his wedding. I think he may have cracked a smile finally. <laughs> but, uh, but he was up against some really dark stuff. Yeah. So, um, and actually, while we're on the wedding, the some of the dialogue there is almost replicated, I think, from the mm. from the original stories. And um, you you mentioned Luke McDonald, the artist. Um, 
he's he's redone Diana's wedding dress and almost the entire scene um, very much in the style of Cy Barry. So as a uh, as for fans who would have grown up on the newspaper strips and been diehard forecasts is what we've, we've called them, um, they would have found a lot of um, mm. familiarity and and would have made the DC series a lot more, I guess, palatable because sometimes fandom fans can reject things that don't um, match the law as they see it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I wanted it to be true to the vision of Lee Falk, to be honest. Mm. Yeah. But not just mimic stories he'd already done. Mm. Um, I didn't want to retell um, others, you know, basically back back issue stories that, that they had done in the strips and stuff. So um, it was finding that balance between balancing the, the, the Lee Falk of the slightly more cheerful Phantom uh, and, and kind of a more, I mean, 1988 in comics was right along the time of the Watchmen and V for Vendetta and, you know, uh, Dark Knight. So things were getting a little darker, a little grittier. Mm. Just felt like that was what I wanted to do anyway um, with the stories then. And um, DC and Lee Falk let me do it. So that was, that was great. Mm. Yeah. You make a good point about the, I guess the darkness, uh, your stories were very, I guess they were a, a lot darker. Um, I know like in issues one and two, um, as he, as uh, Camel, the the bad guy, who also appears in towards the end as well, um, as one of the things that I did like was, as he's chasing Camel, he he stays in the shadows. He's I guess you know there could, there could be a little bit of Batmanish in that mm-hmm. sense. Um, but it is that how you see the Phantom yourself? Exactly. Yeah, and I think Luke did too. I mean, we we discussed it. Um, uh, to me, the Phantom should have sort of a pulp magazine feel mm. from, you know, like the shadow, the shadow or uh, Doc Savage, you know, these, those kind of gritty, I, I love that feel. And that's what I thought Luke gave, uh, gave this yeah. more than like a Batman feel because um, uh, I, I, I love what he did. I, I have no, I loved it. <laughs> so just flat out. And uh, uh, Luke was kind enough to give me the art to issue seven which I have some of it framed around here somewhere. I, it's, it's one of my prized possessions. So, um, yeah, but that's how I saw it. I'm sure we discussed that up front. And I think the idea there was keep him in shadow as much as possible. Um, you know, ultimately he is in a purple leotard, you know, and striped shorts. So I think it, it helps to keep that sort of feel more dark and real and, and, um, scary yeah so you know i mean batman can look silly in broad daylight as well so uh he's supposed to be scary the phantom i think when he approaches mm. bad guys because he doesn't want to have to kill them he wants to mm. scare them out of what they're doing more than kill them mm. so. and i suppose you're absolutely right about um luke's art it, it harnesses that and, and captures that really really well um part of that is, is of course also the the coloring in anthony tolan who's the colorist for the series um, he is active on Facebook and I wouldn't be surprised at all if he listens to this, um, knowing that we're going to talk about the series that he worked on. But uh, some of the work that he did in terms of creating those shadows and the, the colour palette um, really added to it as well. I agree. I, he did, er, uh, everything production-wise on the book was just A number one. I mean, we were on slightly better paper. Um, 
I, I can't say enough about what a great relationship I had with the editors, Bob Greenberger and then uh, Brian Augustine. Um, I remember lengthy calls discussing story with Brian that were some of the most fun I'd had doing comics um, up mm. until then, you know, just they weren't, they weren't uh, filled with conflict or anything. They're just filled with ideas flying around and um, someone you could bounce things off of could offer you ideas, uh, make suggestions. Maybe this would work better than this. It was, it was really good. I, mm. that part I, when it got canceled, I missed that more than anything. Mm. Well, and the money. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was, is there a particular story that gave you the most satisfaction? Well, I, I think, you know, for me, and I think um, even Bob, I think, would say this, fever um, sort of touched a nerve uh, and uh, because it's just so sad. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the Phantom found himself up against something that um, he solved some of the problem, but he wasn't able to solve sort of that personal problem mm-hmm. of the poor guy who just was trying to make a living and uh, basically made his son sick with toxic materials. And, and then he got sick and, uh, you know, it does not end happily for them. So mm. um, I think that one, just because it, it seems to have the most, uh, um, I liked it when the Phantom felt challenged, but, and, and also sort of, you know, the odds he's up against emotionally even are, are pretty overwhelming too. And that was one where clearly it was like, that hit him. Like I wasn't able to fix mm-hmm. some of these problems. Um, unfortunately, the one right after that gold had a similar yeah. <laughs> thing. Mm. So kind of, kind of kept hitting that one. But, um, but yeah, I liked fever. I liked, um, um, I liked the gorilla one too, actually. I thought that one turned out well. I thought, you know, that uh, how, how the phantom got involved in that and what the guys were doing. I'll tell you what was a challenge was how he didn't kill everybody because hmm. they all have automatic weapons. And so it was always trying to think, well, how does he solve this problem without pulling his gun and just plugging him? I was tempted. They would never <laughs> let me do it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you're very, I know, I remember reading for the first time, those particular two stories, um, uh, waste and, and the gold fever one. And, it was, they were very emotional. It was a very emotional roller coaster because, and I guess one of the things that I like about your series is that the Phantom doesn't win in a lot of mm-hmm. them. Is he, you know, like in, in Waste, he, he doesn't win at all. It, it's still going um, in fever. He arrives too late. Um, and, you know, and in a couple of others as well, um, even in uh, episodes one and two as well, he's not able to resolve the Civil War or. Mm-hmm. Um, and stuff like that as well. Was that was that done by design as well? That you know that the Phantom is, you know, I guess, you know, losing losing the overall battle. Well, I think that he always had smaller wins. Yeah. I mean, like Fever specifically, he talked that one ship captain and stopped doing it. It's sort of like I can't save the world today, but I can save you. I can stop you from doing this thing, one day at a time. You know, so. Yeah. Um, I think that 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 was that was the win in those episodes. Uh, I can stop the gold guy from killing anybody else, even though he already killed the guy I came out to try to find. Um, but um, no, I thought you know it's it felt like the issues confronted by Africa back then were so huge 
that it was almost, you know, it was a little bit difficult or un very unrealistic to think that one man could affect mm. the kind of change it would take to solve toxic dumping or solve a civil war, as you said. Um, and uh, so it was really about those small wins in the middle of it. I can't, I can't fix everything, but what I can do is make sure this guy doesn't come back again. Mm. And um, um, so that, that, that was the thinking there. But uh, yeah, look, I, I like telling, um, always have, continue to, telling somewhat downbeat <laughs> stories. Yeah. Even if, even if the hero, I mean, the hero can still have his victory or whatever, but um, I like there to be a little realism to it because in truth, you don't solve the world's problems by socking a guy and mm. <laughs> locking him up, you know? So. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but I guess it, it, the Phantom is human and that's one of the things that, you know, majority of us fans like about the fandom is that, you know, he is a normal guy, you know, a flesh and blood, uh, you know, guy doing extraordinary things. And, and I think that comes across in your stories is that he is human and, you know, he, he you know, the small wins are small wins. You know, it's not like, you know, Superman who can, you know, go and fly and, and solve the problems or something. So it's also sort of like the, existence of the phantom as a scary totem you know this this ghost that walks that will come after you if you do bad things as long as that exists he's got sort of a um, mechanism for preventing things before they happen already mm. it's like if if you know basically if you say look keep doing that and this guy who is a ghost and he walks is going to come after you you have a problem so mm. you know it's almost like uh you know having a, a well-armed having a an army you don't have to use it to uh have people scared of coming at you because you have an army phantom mm -hmm. exists you don't want to do certain things because the phantom is liable to come after you um so part of it is maintaining his legend and the aura about him you know why he never wants to be unmasked or um anyone to know that he's real um like a real human so mm. do you explore that in the first two episodes in the last two episodes uh, quite well in the first two episodes you've got Carmel uh, where you've got the you've got the old native retelling the story um, and which really you know I guess is the downfall of Carmel is is the fact of of, of that the law the the story of the phantom and how he's after you and stuff like that and then what I also found interesting was in issue 12 and 13 um, it's you're almost looking at that from a negative point of view where, you know, where, where the phantoms framed for the murder of the um, president, um, where, you know, that they're saying, Oh, the reason why the phantom did it is because he wants to keep that mystery alive. And the modern day is, you know, works against that as well. So I thought that was quite clever as well. I've forgotten that. But <laughs> <laughs> That's, I'm glad you like that. Um, I don't have, you know, some of my memories are pretty faded from a long time ago. <laughs> but um, I, I believe, though, one of the reasons Camel came back, and I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure, was we were trying to sort of get a little more serial toward yeah. the end there. Um, and I was trying to remember when the decision had come to cancel it, because I may have written, I mean, the, the wedding wasn't meant to be the, the last issue it was meant to be tee off something else 
of which I cannot remember what it would have been now. But uh, um, my notes are, I just don't have the notes from back then. But um, certainly I had thought, I was thinking about it. Um, but uh, the, uh, so I, I was trying to remember if I knew while I was writing 13 that it had already been canceled. I, I actually, I can't remember. Mm. Um, uh, obviously it'd be time they printed it, they knew, so. Mm. It would be interesting because it, between the the camel storyline and the um, the you know the the lead up to the wedding, it is a very neat sort of finish to the to the series. Um, so whether by design or by accident, it's uh, it's certainly worked out quite well. I think. Yeah, it's unfortunate it had to end like that, but mm. yeah. Uh, so you said you said before about um, you know reasons for sales declining do you have what were your thoughts on why the sales were declining and and why what led it to it being cancelled in the end well i think i take uh, the editor editors at their word with what they put in that last issue which was that you know sales were off and that combined with what they had to pay king features to license the book and pay us and everybody you know it just had become a financially untenable book they didn't see it um they didn't they didn't see a, a way this would just start climbing back up again, I guess. And um, so that was, that was a decision. Uh, obviously for a long time, they were almost guaranteed. They said for sure, we'll go to issue 26, I guess by another 13 or whatever. But um, yeah, it just wasn't to be. Mm. Um, and you know, I, as to why sales dropped, uh, I don't know. You know, it's funny. My guess is it was probably selling in, uh, and this is just a guess, probably like 30,000 in that ballpark. Um, Brian or Rob, Bob would know better, but um, that today would be a gigantic hit. So, mm. But back then it wasn't, you know, mm. back then comics were selling, you know, 100 and 200,000 stuff. Mm. My mm. aliens comics sold a million. Wow. <laughs> you mm. know, so ultimately, you know, reprints and different issues and stuff. So, mm. uh, now I've heard a rumor that King Features jacked up the uh, price for the the next contract, and wow, that yeah, so dirty. yeah, so I no yeah, so that so with I guess the sales and all the the production outlay, it just became a a product that was not cost effective, I guess. Which, there was another thing too that the letters column reminded me of, which was there was some kind of movie project. Mm. in play back then in the eighties. Mm. And it's possible when that fell apart, which it must have, because nothing mm. happened for another bunch of years. Um, that also contributed to the okay they, I know I have no idea if they wanted more money, but if that's true and they said well give us more money, well there's no corresponding commercial thing we can hook hook this to mm. to help mm. sales. All those things probably combined to mm. to um, to kill the book. I, you know, when I look back on it, I'm not, I'm, I wasn't wholly devastated by that only because I told, I told the stories I wanted to tell. And, um, you know, if you get to go out with your head up high, as opposed to kind of dribbling out, you know, like mm. just teetering out, that's better. And, yeah. um, so. So do you remember any of the stories or any of the, the, the ways that you would have kind of gone forward? I tried to think of them and I really, don't. <laughs> I really don't. I mean, um, I, I really don't. Yeah. Uh, Brian, Brian might remember better than I do. So, um, um, 
and if you're ever, I don't know if you ever want to interview him, he's on Facebook and stuff too. Uh, he's a great guy. Um, but I, I just, I don't, I probably wrote something up. Yeah. Is it a, is it a world that you could feel yourself dipping back into again now? Like if, if, um, have you got phantom stories in you now that you would be keen to, to flesh out? Well, I never say never to anything, you know? So, um, but, uh, I, I can't say I have one burning to come out right now. Yeah. Um, and, um, there's plenty of people doing good phantom stuff, especially mm-hmm. in Australia. Um, when I, I did, like I said earlier, I did a show in New Zealand and, uh, in 2017 and, so I was able to get some of the phantom books there. They're not the, the, the fray company. Is that who does Fray, Yeah. Fray. Fray. They don't, they don't even come out up here. So in the States. So, um, but I was able to get some in New Zealand and it was cool to read those. And, um, I think some of them were being done by American writers and artists, but, mm. um, so I liked, I liked what they were doing with those. And it's cool that the, the character's still alive. Um, that's sort of the, uh, the, some total of how much I've dived into phantom stuff for a while. Um, not because I have a dislike of the character. I just, you know, it's a busy well, world. And, yeah. he, and he's just not freely available in America. As you've said, like Hermes press doing some reprints and um, the occasional um, new story, but there's, you, you've even got to search him out to find him in the newspaper these days. Yeah. There's no papers here that have him. So mm-hmm. in Los Angeles, I mean, LA, no, but then I'm happy. So mm-hmm. is that I've seen. So, um, yeah, it's too bad. I, I, it's, it's a cool character. Um, what else can you say? Mm. <laughs> Fair enough. So, um, a question uh, we've talked a little bit about camel before was, was he based on anyone? Uh, I don't think so. Although there is a movie director named Donald camel. So I probably stole his name. Um, but, um, no, I think just a arrogant British gun running <laughs> piece of crap was kind of what I was going for. Um, there's a number of names in the stories of friends of mine, uh, who I just used. So Matt Harrison, I was in one of the stories. He's a friend of mine, an old friend. Um, I think I named someone Sonia. It's my wife. Um, and, uh, I'm trying to remember other ones. I think Sonia was the, was she the, she was the, um, on the Pirates story, I think it Pirates was. Pirates Gold. She was, she was, well, yeah, she was, when I just read it again, I forgot to know which one it was in. Don't tell my wife. Yeah, um, I think she was the, in um, Pirates, the Phantom got a couple of the Jungle Patrols. So there was a guy who was the, the, I guess the person who looks after the boat, his name, his name was actually Tolan. So I'm not sure if that was related to Anthony Tolan who did the, um, the coloring or not. But then I think there was a, a lady jungle patrol and I think her name was Sonia. Okay. Yep. Homage. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I was going through, I don't remember, um, how I came up with too many of the other names. Uh, uh, although the African names I, I do remember and, and places as well. I did a lot of research to make sure that I was using names that fit um, the locale and were reasonably accurate, you know, names. Mm. I, I didn't want to just do fake stuff that, that 
wasn't a name you might actually have in those towns and those villages. Mm. So uh, I did I did quite a bit of looking at those African magazines at the time and other 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 places to try to figure out you know what would they call this, what river would this be going through here, that sort of thing. Um, so I just wanted to feel, give it that that feel of reality. Mm. I think that that sort of authenticity really helped the. Um, the reality of the story, as you've said, the, and I think the other authentic thing that you've done really well, and you mentioned the phrase before um, about the Phantoms fighting a lonely battle and um, the way that um, he is coming to grips with that battle and, and the, um, the understanding he has of his place in the generations of Phantoms and that sort of thing. I think you explored that element of, of it really well. And one of the... Um, I guess the devices that you used to be able to do that was the, the ongoing commentary of writing in the Chronicles and mm -hmm. um, using that and having that as a, I guess, as a narrator's line carrying through, but also providing insight into um, what the Phantom's thinking. And we don't often, well, we can't see that on his face very often because of he's, he's grim and he's in the shadows and all the rest of it. So I thought that that authenticity of what it would be like to be actually the person behind the mask um, that, that must have been something that you spent a lot of time uh, working on. Yeah, I did. I wanted that to really reflect his mood and, you know, the challenges he was facing, but also I wanted him to be different issue to issue. So I wanted him to be facing a new emotional challenge in those, you know, voiceovers, basically, that were in, mm. in the phone of a chronicle. Um, they, uh, it's interesting, uh, comics used to have something they call thought balloons, where characters could think, some still do, I guess, <laughs> um, that sort of evolved into voiceover narrations like uh, The Watchmen or something, which has a lot of sort of voiceover or character-based um, captions. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, using the Chronicles was sort of splitting the difference. It was doing thought balloons without thought balloons. Mm -hmm. And it was able to be reflective as well because obviously a Chronicle is told from in past tense. Mm -hmm. So he was talking about the story he had just gone through or, or is about to embark on. Um, and uh, he can reflect on sort of how that's, you know, it, it usually tended to reflect on what was animating him now to go forward. Um, what, what was the emotional story behind the reason why I want to go find that kid that's trapped in the gold cave? Well, this is it. And how important that was to me when I was a young man um, and just after my father had died. And so, it was, you know, it was way to just a, I think, I think the point is well taken. He is a very solitary guy and he didn't see his emotions on his face except being pissed off a lot. Um, so um, it was a way to sort of show that there was a man underneath the mask and under the costume. Hmm. Uh, those were fun to write. And, and uh, but again, a little bit challenging just to, to try to make them different um, to make sure that they expressed a new emotion we hadn't seen yet. Hmm. Sort of like doing the uh, intro page every issue. It's yeah. like um, some of that's kind of etched in stone, but then the last couple panels would always be, how does this reflect on the story we're about to read? Mm. So they just didn't feel like we're filling up a page with a reprint of, you know, something mm. from last year. Mm. Was that a bit of a light bulb moment for you when you, when you realized that you could use the Chronicles in that way? And, uh, and I guess second to that, you mentioned, um, you know, some personal, ways that you would tap into it was that was that something that um you found challenging searching through your own i guess um understanding of what it means to be human and and putting that into the pages of the comic 
I think that's what you do as a writer. You try to figure out sort of, you know, you're always sort of starting with how would I feel um, in a way in this situation. And then uh, sometimes it's difficult to do that if it's in something really outlandish. But um, with The Phantom, it, it wasn't that difficult to sort of put you in, put yourself in his shoes. Um, as far as doing that, that sort of mode, um, I'd done a couple of comics before this. And um, I did a book called The American, and then I did the first Aliens books for Dark Horse. And those used quite a bit of the uh, captions that are essentially past tense captions. So, so you know, it's, it's someone telling a story from some perspective. Um, I even cheated once. I did a story once where it's all from a past tense perspective. And you get to the end, you realize um, the guy was dead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> did, not a phantom story, but at the end of the story, the guy was dead. He was narrating it from the grave. So that's a bit of a cheat, but I enjoyed doing that anyway. So, yeah. um, your, your M. Night Shyamalan story. Yes. <laughs> Different book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just got to echo that. I, I really enjoyed getting an insight into the phantom's thoughts as well. Um, it was, it was, it was, it was, it, it was really enlightening and, and seeing, you know, him doubt himself and then having, I also enjoyed the touches with his father as well throughout. I think there was the pirates where he was retelling stories of his father, but there was a couple of other moments as well. Um, it was, it was, it was good to see kind of like the human side of the Phantom. That's, that's what I was trying to do with those. Yeah. And, you know, it's very rich character stuff when you have someone too that's confronted by a legacy he cannot avoid mm -hmm. uh, so when you have someone it doesn't matter if you're going to become the phantom or if your father expects you to become the president of the bank in his footsteps or whatever you know again that's sort of taking a common emotion and finding out how it applies to a guy that's in the famine's situation or it's, it's a little more stakes are heightened because he really can't quit um, and um, how that affects his personal life. But, but it's not an insane emotion, you know, to, to be worried about uh, how do I live up to a legacy? Uh, I'm expected to do these things. So, you know, I was just tapping into those sorts of mm. feelings and emotions to try to, and then putting them in the Phantom's wor world, in the mm. Phantom's words too. And uh, what about the idea of um, someone, I guess, then marrying into that legacy rather than being born into it? And I, um, I really like the way that um, Diana basically uh, discovered who the Phantom really was. Um, I think it was in, it might have been in Apes, I think. There was a particularly cool little um, exchange where the Phantom has said something like, um, and I'm paraphrasing, you know me as a, as a quarterback in college with a high school crush type thing. This is who I really am. And, and that was, um, you know, that was a moment where you go, wow, she's actually taking some big steps in herself to, to follow this man that she loves into a world that is completely foreign to anything that she ever would have expected. Yeah, no, she really is. I mean, I also wanted to make sure she felt real and not just kind of a, a girlfriend, mm. um, you know, to give her some agency within the stories. There's, there's not a lot of that because the stories are just not that long. So, um, and to set up the story and then get the Phantom involved. Um, but um, I did want her, and frankly, I wanted all the other characters to feel like they had their own agency. It wasn't just the phantom out, you know, clobbering everybody and then getting a pat on the back. Uh, 
that was especially important to me with the African characters um, mm-hmm. that uh, the chief of the police and of the jungle patrol and those characters, um, they uh, would actually take care of problems just as much as the phantom. Mm. I did not want them to be just sort of, what do we do now, phantom? Yeah. You know, um, that they had their own sort of power base. And, um, and I also didn't want to shy away from having Africans be the villains because there's quite a few white villains, but there's also um, uh, a number of African villains as well. So mm. it's, it was finding that balance, but I just wanted to make sure it felt like a well-rounded world and, mm. uh, and not like one where the fandom just is you know, telling everybody what to do and they do it. Mm. So is that, is that important? You made mention of, of um, not making the phantom seem like a, the great white hope. Was that important like, to be able to have those characters that were on an equal footing so, so the phantom isn't depicted as... Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was, again, when I walked into doing it, that was my biggest fear. And the thing I really wanted to make sure we did not do was mm. turn the Phantom into this white Avenger helping the poor Africans mm. out of a jam, you know. Um, I wanted to make sure that it felt like the Africans, frankly, probably could have solved the problem without him. But mm. they had, uh, you know, he was able to help in ways that they, they couldn't through his legend and through his mystery and through um, um, actually a lot of it was through his legend and mystery. Like I was saying, he just scares people off. It's like, you know, when he says, don't do it again or I'll come after you. You know, if a cop says that to you, you kind of go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if the phantom says it to you, after he punches your face and leaves a skull mark on it, you kind of go, I'm a little worried about this guy. I'll I'll take this one seriously. (laughs) Yeah. I will laugh this one. I thought, with what you're just saying, um, is it in trains? I believe where um, the sister, oh, that she might have even been Sonia, um, where the sister uh, has the um, what do you call it, the, the orphanage and and stuff like that. She's a she's like a real hero in that story, where you know she's got the, you know she's got the orphanage. She helps you know the young boys and and, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So I thought that really helped. I guess, you know, and also it enabled the Phantom to be able to help in other ways besides being, a vi- you know, vigilante. He was right. able to help financially and, 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 and stuff like that in a, in, a, in a real problem. It goes back to just saying I just really wanted other people to be, <laughs> yeah. you know, have strong uh, character, strong points of view, and the ability to deal with their problems as well. Um, mm. And... Uh, so, and you know, that goes a little bit with the, the Phantom not being able to solve all these problems, really to, to solve the toxic waste problem. For instance, the rest of that country has to come together and say, stop. Yeah. Um, you know, all he can do is sort of like start the ball rolling and then everybody else has to step up. And so maybe that's part of his agency as well. It's, you know, take my advice, try to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I was just remembering another part where you were talking about Diana as well. It was in uh, frame part one where she was actually rescued the phantom as well. Mm. Um, that I thought, you know, that echoed with what you were saying before about, you know, how she had equal billing in the yeah. story. Yeah. No, I wanted her to be involved and I wanted her to, to step up in that case. I mean, her, her husband or soon to be husband is, you know, being unfairly maligned 
So I wanted her to, to really uh, do something about that. And um, so those are probably, choices. Probably not the sort of thing she thought she'd be doing the day before her wedding, breaking <laughs> it, pretending to be a journalist and dropping a, uh, a lockpick into a cell, but uh, she's oh, yeah. resourceful. We all have our, we all have our marriage day stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, I don't know. I don't think my marriage day story was anything as interesting as that no. one. <laughs> I was not breaking out of jail the day before. <laughs> Most people that are in jail on the night before is because of a, of a is the Bucks party. <laughs> right. That's what, that would be a better reason for the family. <laughs> <laughs> just imagining Lothar and Mandrake and, right. and uh, Phantom Garan was all out on a Bucks party the night before. <laughs> Garan kind of coming in and bailing him out sheepishly. <laughs> Again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you, you mentioned before, um, Mark, that uh, it's a, the Phantom series is one that you do keep, you know, coming back to time after time and people, people refer to it and stuff. And, and even the fact that here we are, you know, 30 years after the stories have come out, we've contacted you for a podcast. And um, do, do you get a sense from fans? Certainly the letters were quite complimentary, as I, as I mentioned before. Does it, is it um, a series that fans do keep wanting to talk to you about and, and referring to? You get a sense that they enjoyed it? You know, occasionally it comes up. Yeah, I mean... It's, you know, you, you, you have to have bought them back in 1988 or 89 or found them in back issues. Uh, but uh, no, it, it does, every once in a while, it's not like a, a drum beat, but every once in a while I'll get, you know, somebody will just say, and by the way, the guy did the Phantom, which is like my all-time favorite Phantom or a really good Phantom or, you know, a run I really enjoyed. And, you know, always, it's always fun to hear um, that something you did actually has a little sticking power and, mm. you know, actually made a small impact on someone is uh, kind of amazing, actually. It's mm. the great thing about being a writer and being in, you know, it wasn't mass enough, but mass media um, mm. to uh, have people actually kind of respond to your, to your work. It's, mm. it's I suppose like, like all of us, there'd be elements of your job that you, you did 10 days ago, let alone 10 years ago or, or three decades ago that um, have just completely fallen by the wayside and no one remembers and, and uh, has, has disappeared, so to speak. Um, so to have something, yeah, from, from, three, th from 30 odd years ago um, that has stuck has got to be pretty pleasing. Yeah, it's nice. I've done TV shows no one remembers. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so uh, I've done some that they remember as well. But, um, uh, yeah, no, the, the comics that I did people do bring them up quite, quite a bit. Um, the Phantom, Aliens, The American, Predator, uh, those books. Um, I, I get nice, nice thoughts on those. And, they're all, and the, by the way, except for The Phantom, they're all still in print. Mm. Um, they just reprinted um, all the Aliens and Predator in hardcover series about two years ago. So um, it's nice. About time we get should've, the same treatment. You've done more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's like you just said you should have done more. Now, I was recently rereading a, uh, a Moonstone um, trade paperback, and um, I'm not sure you probably won't be able to read that, but there's a, uh, there's a comment from you on the trade paperback um, talking about the Moonstone stories. Were you ever contacted, or how, how did that come about? Were you. 
Is it something that you were looking at doing stuff for Moonstone or? Uh, you know, I actually don't remember. Like, <laughs> I totally blanked on that. Who wrote the, that story or those stories? Uh, or, ben, ben Rabb. Oh, that's how. Okay. I know Ben. Um, and um, so he, he probably sent me the uh, stories. Um, ben uh, works in television yep. too. And uh, we've been, I've known of Ben and we've met many times over the years. So, um, yeah, I, he probably showed them to me. I don't remember Moonstone ever asking me to write the Phantom for them, but um, no, it, it's coming back to me. Okay, um, cool. So, yeah, no, you. just yeah, uh, he's one that we want to um, that we're going to try and uh, hook up for an interview as well. Um, there's a, g- a couple of questions I want to ask about your movies and uh, and stuff. Dan, do you have any more questions about the TV series? I mean, the the comic book series, sorry. Something will probably pop up, but nothing on the on the front of the page at the moment. <laughs> okay. Now, one of the things that I thought was interesting is in a few of the issues, like this is issue uh, four here on the back cover. Um, uh, there's the um, an advert for the movie Dead Calm. Now, the reason I bring that up is because it's rumored that that movie, uh, filming that movie, was when Billy Zane uh, first became a phantom fan now well, billy zane billy zane in the podcast chat he had with us confirmed that rumor so we know it yes. to be true now i've also heard a rumor that um that you were close to writing the script for the movie back in in one of the various guises back then uh is that true that's been a little overblown <laughs> <laughs> um i had i had exactly one meeting at paramount on the movie which was one of the stranger meetings that I have had um, uh, because I, the, uh, the executive was not at Paramount very long, by the way, and it was a Robert Evans production. And if you know anything about the movie business, he's very, got quite a history. Um, but back then he'd done, you know, Chinatown and Godfather, you know, he's an amazing uh, producer. So, uh, I thought, well, I, sh- I hadn't done too much yet back then in film, but I thought I wrote the Phantom books and uh, I had an agent then and uh, I thought uh, it'd be fun to kind of go up for it. So I had this meeting with this executive and one of the first things he said to me, because I think he was familiar with my comics, he said, why do you want to do this movie? And I, like not in a tell me why you're so excited about doing it, more like a, what kind of an idiot would want to do this movie? Oh. And I said, uh, well, uh, you know, I'm thinking like, well, you're the guy who's making it. Why are you doing it? But <laughs> um, he clearly did not have a high opinion of the uh, project. So um, that that's as close as I came to working on the Phantom. I mean, there was nothing came out of that at all. I mean, not even like, well, if you have any thoughts, give me a call. Sometimes that will happen. Nothing. So, um, which is probably for the best, but, uh, you know, things have gone on okay since, but, um, yeah. Fair to say the film probably would have turned out a bit differently if you had been writing on it. Or it would not turned out at all, or it would have been, (laughs) I would have been rewritten 30 times or who knows. Uh, Oh, the other thing I remember though, is I said, he said, I said, well, and also I kind of like to meet Robert Evans. He says, you do not want to meet Robert Evans. (laughs) <laughs> <When>, okay <laughs> <clears throat> so there you go 
Well, I've certainly got some Googling to do after this interview. I'm keen to know more about Robert Evans now. <laughs> I, yeah, you should check him out. I have never met Robert Evans, and he died about a year or two ago. So, But um, there you go. <laughs> That's my fan of movie story. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought it was going to be a little bit more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you enjoy the film when it did come out? I have to be honest, it was not one of my favorites. Mm. Um, I, uh, um, I, you know, I have not really seen it. I don't know more than, I probably saw it one more time on television after I saw it in the theaters. I was somewhat disappointed when I saw it in the theaters. And um, I don't know, no slam against Billy Zane, who I thought was awesome. You know, he's a great phantom. But um, for whatever reason, it just didn't quite work for me. Mm. I frankly barely remember it. Just my memory of it was just something I don't need to revisit. Mm. Um, I didn't even like the toys they made out of it. So mm. um, there you go. I tried well, to find a skull cave, but I never could. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you're um, you're on your own there. Certainly, even as a as a mega fan who was um, right in the right age bracket when it did come out, I walked out of the cinema disappointed in it, and um, was particularly the supernatural elements. That was never part of the Phantom, and, and to have supernatural elements in it. I think it I think it does stand up you know, 20 something years later, as long as you're prepared to look past the, the lasers. Um, right. But uh, yeah, and you're absolutely right about the toys as well. Um, there's a couple there behind me and uh, they're at the back. <laughs> yeah, they just weren't very good. No. You know, why'd they do that? Yeah. Um, oh, well. <laughs> Lots of rewrites, clearly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It did have a very, um, what was the, had a very turbulent existence and, and, you know, pre-moments and stuff. There was a lot of different people involved over the different years and stuff. So I think it was good that we actually finally got something. Uh, could have quite definitely, could have quite easily been a lot better, but um, I guess something's better than nothing. Yeah. yeah. I'm happy for anyone who's working. So I yeah. don't put down anybody who worked on it or anything. It's... You know, I've been on projects. Sometimes they just don't turn out the mm. way you'd hoped. Mm. So. Um, so if you would you, so if you were to do a, a movie or a TV series, how like of the Phantom, what, how would you picture it in with today's environment? With you know, the comics are, are quite popular. The TV series with what you know. Arrowverse and DC are doing, which are, um, you know, are quite popular in that as well. Like how, how would you vision it? Because you've got history in the TV and the film industry as right. well. Well, I'd do, it, I'd do it dark. I mean, I would do it, as, make him as real as he can be. Um, I wouldn't change his costume or any of that stuff. Um, but um, I would make it, uh, you know, and deal with real world problems. Um, and to me, it does kind of have to be set in Africa. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he can have adventures outside, but uh, that's the world he's in. And so mm -hmm. to change that is to change sort of the essential nature of, of what his story is. Um, and also I would, I would potentially look into doing, um, uh, making sure you cover the past phantoms. Yeah. The, you know, uh, play with those worlds and how they impact the present day phantom, not just his father, but, you know, going back, you know, a couple centuries and what did that phantom do that's laid a, a minefield for you today, you know? Mm. So what you didn't realize that you're, by the way, I'm just spitballing, but mm. what, you're, what, you're, what your 
great great grandfather did led to the creation of some you know uh, cabal that's been you know in existence ever since that you know have to try to stop it's like unintended consequences i just think you could play with a lot of those uh elements um i would not give him a you know, james bond car or uh you know put him in space or, yeah. <laughs> or whatever uh i would make sure that that he's not he would not be um you know he's not a luddite so he'd have computers and he'd have whatever the internet he'd have whatever he needs to be sort of up to date but um i think he'd still ride that horse and you know do his thing and um and also i don't think he can kill anybody mm. so no. at least really 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 try not to so i noticed in the you know i was rereading the books occasionally one of his buddies will do it for him um mm-hmm. you know blow a guy off a cliff with a water cannon mm-hmm. <laughs> go, well he kind of killed him um but uh i suppose he swam away but um anyway but yeah he shouldn't be just willy-nilly shooting people yeah Um, he should use his smarts and um so that that's you know i don't know that anyone would want to make that show but that that i think is the show because boy the real world africa what little i've seen of it i've never been there personally but i have friends that have gone it's it's a world unto itself of Mm. very intriguing you know, poverty and wealth and, you know, a different sort of political system and it's uh, tribes and, you know, tribes along with, you know, political capitals and stuff. It's, it'd be a fascinating place to play with mm-hmm. and something we haven't seen. No. So do you know anyone that would be able to give us a TV show like that? <laughs> Cause I'll watch it. <laughs> okay, well, there's one. <laughs> <laughs> Two plus probably most people who are listening to this. Yeah. <laughs> they, 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 they keep trying, obviously, because I think there was one on sci-fi mm. here. Frankly, I never saw it. I heard it wasn't very good. So, again, don't want to put anybody down. Glad you're making a living. But uh, it's, it's probably just hard. I mean, they may, they may run into the same questions I had mm. when I f- was first offered the job, which how do I make this not feel sort of Tarzan or – um, you know, Bomba or something, Mm. you know, how do I make it its own thing? And so, um, Mm. it may stop the thinking process kind of early reason. I don't know, but um, it's, it is a, it is a challenging, um, scenario that Fork envisaged, you know, 80 Mm. odd years ago, uh, to try and bring that into a modern context. And, um, the, I, I think a lot of people have, um, misconceived notions of what, that great white hope um, character is and, and people who haven't really dipped into the universe a great deal would misunderstand that pretty easily and probably makes that too challenging. It's a, it's a, a sandbox that people are, don't want to play in because they're afraid that um, they'll get dirty sort of thing um, yeah. and, and can't think through how to do it properly. You just, you'd have to make sure you do it with the right uh, sensibility. Mm. Um, you know, you just have to be, take care that the other characters you're dealing with are as, rich and as um, powerful and as able to solve their own problems as the phantom. Mm. Um, and uh, again, I keep going back to what the phantom has in his favor more than anything is the legend. Yeah. And uh, you know, frankly, if he were to die, the legend in there, no one took his place. The legend would continue. So, mm. you know, that's an ongoing process. Um, hopefully he won't, but that's <laughs> the, it would continue. So 
um, that that's what he brings to it that that aura of mystery and fear yeah yeah definitely hmm. Hmm. um Dan you got any more questions um no i don't i've 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 really enjoyed talking to you mark it's um it's been fascinating to um uh, to hear your take on on the character i keep looking over here because that's where all the the books are so um it's um it's really interesting i I love the the way that you you do have that he must be real and and how do i make it real and and that depth of all the other characters is um is something that that does come through the stories as i've said and um to hear that it, it was so purposeful and so well thought through, um, I think is quite gratifying for, for us as readers. So mm. appreciate it. These, these were published probably when I was about 10 and uh, I didn't really pick them up until quite recently, to be honest. So um, it, yeah, as I said, right at the very start, they, um, they still have a resonance today. And, um, and I think that's a, a tribute to. And I don't want to shortchange Luke McDonald mm. um, who, you know, gave it life. You know, I could write whatever I wanted, but, you know, he, he had to make it real and he did such a, a great job mm. for me. And I, I know there were a, a few complaints in the letters page about it. Now yeah, they're wrong. So <laughs> mm. were there, were there any um, pages that came back or stories that came back where you thought, wow, um, any scenes in particular that you remember that um, I do. Uh, gold, especially where, uh, and I remember the script did ask for this apparition of a skull figure to be, you know, terrifying the guy, but Luke just, just did it in such a great, a great way. Um, he, uh, he was able to do that very expressive, um, stuff. And especially with the phantom in the dark, he, he found a way to do that so that, um, the power and the dynamic, you know, sort of tension of what the phantom was doing always came out. So, uh, you know, Luke, Luke was a, a great creative partner on this. Um, can't say anything, I mean, one of the best uh, collaborations I've ever had with, uh, with an artist. So mm. I hope he feels the same. Maybe he hates me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'd, we'd love to get him on the podcast uh, and find out. We'll ask him that question. Okay. <laughs> I, don't, I, do, well, I don't know if I want the answer. So. <laughs> <laughs> I do know that he still is a, um, a Phantom fan and, and in the Phantom universe. And even um, as recently as February, attended a, a lunch with uh, a bunch of other Phantom fans and creators, and including Cy Barry and, and, and a few others. So, um, he's still very much part of the world and, uh, you, you can, you can see the, the love of the character that he's got as well, uh, coming through the pages. Yeah. No, he, he, he definitely loved it. So, mm. um, great, really fun to see what he would do. Mm-hmm. Do you have any, I guess, comments or anything that you feel we've missed Mark that you wanted to um, share with us or any stories or, or anything like that before we wrap up? About the Phantom? Yeah. Or, or uh, anything in- no, I mean, that's, you know, again, 32 years ago, I, mean, <laughs> uh, I, I guess a personal story was, was just sort of how, and another reason I love the book, um, uh, it enabled me to quit my day job mm. uh, and go full-time as a writer, uh, which I've never looked back from. Oh, wow. And um, it, uh, um, I think, probably in some ways gave me the courage to get married because I had a regular job in comics. And uh, so it, you know, on a lot of levels, the Phantom was uh, a catalyst for getting some things going in my career um, that uh, might not have happened otherwise. Oh, wow. So 
was it was not only a fun book to do, but it was also a book that uh, kind of told me, okay, I think I may be able to do this for a living, and um, I did. Well, that's really awesome. cool. Yeah, it's a real milestone, landmark moment. Yep. Yep, I still remember leaving my day job, May 5th, 1988, 5.30 p.m. <laughs> what, what was your day job at the time? I worked at a newspaper in Los Angeles. It was called the Los Angeles Times. Um, I worked in clerical, basically. And uh, I'd been there like five years. And so um, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was scary, but it was also, um, you know, unlike Australia back then, we did not have health care. Um, mm. You had to buy it. And the other thing the DC contract had was healthcare. Oh, wow. When I did the Phantom. Yeah. So I was able to jump and have be covered, which turned oh, out yeah. to be very valuable because I got sick um, right. back then. And uh, so, a lot of ways, it changed my life. And so, um, I probably bore Bob Greenberger with this, but him calling me and asking me to do it um, was, a, was a game changer for me. And um, so, I always appreciate that. And the fact that Lee Falk liked it. Yeah. Mm. If he hadn't liked it, I would be sad. Mm. So. Yeah. I've, I've read interviews and, um, and comments when, people, when they've asked him about the D- DC series, and they, he's always made mention that he's, he enjoyed it as well. So it's nice. He's, a, you know, he's such a heroic figure. Yeah. To, mm. You know, guy that's made it for the other characters, the Phantom, you know, dozens and dozens of years, you know, well, amazing do you still have that letter he sent you at the end of the series i was looking for it i know i have it <laughs> could not find it one of those things <laughs> but i know i know i kept it yeah because yeah. it was against a stunner to kind of go well that's yeah. again a very classic thing to do he didn't have to do that yeah uh, and i i work in hollywood trust me i know classy <laughs> <laughs> so that's that was a very classy thing to do mm. definitely um well I appreciate your time. Uh, I know Dan has said it as well. Um, giving us a, you know, an hour and a half of your time um, on a Saturday afternoon, telling us about something that you did 30 years ago. Uh, it was very insightful. Um, uh, this is a series that I've read dozens of times um, throughout my 20 years of 20 odd years of collecting the Phantom. Um, it took me probably five years to hunt down all 13 issues. Um, mm collecting them but it's it's something that and i've reread them this week as well and it was um it was a you know a highlight of my week rereading the the stories and and getting an insight and stuff like that so from from myself and from the other fans who uh we gave some feedback that they've sent at the start as well i just want to say thank you um for your time today uh thank you for what you did 30 years ago and um yeah uh, thank you for your time and i really appreciate Thanks. it I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Mark. Have a good rest of your day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, did you enjoy that, Dan? That was good. Yeah, absolutely. It was really interesting to talk to Mark. He's um, very, um, very thoughtful, very in depth about uh, the way he approaches um, approaches his writing, and it was really interesting to to get an insight into his process. Yeah, I, I enjoy just, I guess, you know, and this is the '80s, so like you said, you know, the internet wasn't around and stuff like that so it was it was interesting and um just to be able to like hear the the what he went to to get to be able to get that realism with his stories and stuff like that 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 we picked up 
today that you know these stories still stand the test of time mm. and and then listening to what lengths he went to to be able to get that sense of realism in the stories and mm. um and it's so interesting to hear that you know that this that the series is 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 a landmark series in in his career, in his professional career and and that he still gets questions and comments about it you know 30 odd years later and mm podcast requests and stuff like mm. that as well. Oh, so. look, in, in a way, that was probably the m- most interesting thing that I took out of it, that, that personal touch. And I was right at the end, so maybe that's what's, what's precious in my mind. But for him to say that this was the series that turned him from a, um, uh, a wannabe writer to a professional writer, in a sense, um, it, it's a really cool little, just, just little snippet, uh, tidbit, um, and another way that the, the fandom has had a, a massive influence on a, on a person and the direction of their life. Yeah, I also like his idea of the TV series because that's what I've been pitching as well yeah, on the podcast <laughs> for the last that. couple of years. <laughs> so um, you know, I think that I, you know, it's not just because it's my idea, but it's kind of been validated. I guess. What's well, his idea now? <laughs> yeah, it's been validated by someone who's you know a professional in the industry, yeah. and we didn't yeah. touch much on his TV um, uh, or film career, but. You know, he, he's got the runs on the board. Yeah, that's how he visions how it would work, and so it's I, you know, I seriously do think that's the best way we're going to get the Phantom back on mm. big all the screen. We might have to bankroll it ourselves. Is the unfortunate <laughs> thing. <laughs> well, uh, he also made mention of uh, Ben Rab as well. So he's someone that I want to get on the podcast, and he's got, you know, he's got the runs on the board with Arrowverse and uh, mm. Warehouse 13 and a lot of, you know, fairly big and successful TV shows. So uh, we'll definitely be pitching the idea to him. Yeah, just just on. keep dropping hints in the right places. And <laughs> That's <laughs> I it. Know, if we can get all of these guys to talk to each other, might be, <laughs> might be a go. Yeah, that's it. Now we just need to get a, uh, a director or something like that. Or, I'm sure Billy know. Zane would be happy to produce, surely. And- <laughs> Yeah, um, but no. So I hope I hope you I hope everyone listening to this enjoyed that as much as we did and got uh, got enjoyment out of it. If you haven't, you know, read the series, give it another read. Um, uh, we will be making a comment probably a week before this series goes live, letting them know what will be coming out, so people can you know. So hopefully you've had time to reread the series and enjoy it as much as we have, and then as you've been reading it, listening to the podcast as well. Um, so I just want to say thank you for everyone uh, who has listened to this. Um, if you, if this is one of your first podcasts because of uh, of um, you you listen to us because of the interview with Mark, you can find us at chroniclechamber.com. That is our website. If you want to email us, uh, you can contact us at chroniclechamber at gmail.com. Uh, we are all over social media. So Facebook is chroniclechamber.com. Um, you can get us at Twitter, which is at Chronicle Tweets. Uh, Instagram is at Chronicle Chamber. We've got a YouTube channel as well where um, you can watch this podcast uh, and many other reviews and other podcasts with guests. Um, or you can um, subscribe to us if you like listening to audio while you're doing your gardening or painting your house or stuck in quarantine um, doing craft with the kids or something like that as well. Uh, You can find us on Podbean, Player FM, CastBox, Listen Notes, or also on iTunes if you're an Apple user. Now, a big thanks to our Patreon um, subscribers. Uh, Basically, Patreon are the people that help us and support us 
financially to be able to run what we do, which is chroniclechamber.com. Um, so you can find all us, you can find up all about us at uh, Patreon if you go to uh, patreon.com slash chroniclechamber or if you go to our website, you can find us there as well. Um, there's different levels and different rewards as well. So a big shout out to our Patreon listeners and subscribers as well. So we thank you for listening to us. We thank you for um, checking us down on our website or social media. Uh, these podcasts come out once a week, once a fortnight. Um, so uh, until next time, Dan, thank you. Our listeners, thank you. And happy phantoming. Happy phantoming, everybody. 500 years ago he washed ashore the sole survivor of a shipwreck and upon the skull of the man who killed his dad he said i'm mad i must eradicate piracy injustice and cruelty and all my sons will follow me so evil doers will believe that this man cannot die the phantom the ghost who walks the enemies beware the phantom's always there but you won't find the phantom he finds